Hey everybody, Nick and Dylan here. Uh, we just had our first roundtable event a couple weeks ago, and yes. we thought it would be a good idea to jump on here and do a follow-up conversation to get to some of the questions that we didn't have time for. But before we get into the questions, I just want to hear from you. How'd you think the night went? How'd it go? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly biased because I helped put it together and, um, you know, it's the work that I do, but for me personally, it turned out exactly how I wanted it to. And that the way that I wanted it to go was to humanize it more than anything. And mm -hmm. for people to get exposure to individual stories, um, and communal stories, right? So the individualized stories of the people that were up there, but also kind of that communal feel of people who are, uh, LGBTQ and Christian mm -hmm. or wrestling through what it means to be both or neither. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I mean, I really enjoyed the opportunity to get to share stories and really focus on people's experiences, but also, you know, we touched on scripture and theology. We touched on some of those deeper theological implications and people wrestling with how do they steward the scriptures and mm -hmm. their relationship to the church well, yeah. while also being loving. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it went great. I, I certainly think that it needs this follow-up. We didn't get to all the questions that night. And I think the conversation itself needs continuous follow-up, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I hope that we, I hope that nobody stopped just from that night. Yeah. Um, but I felt like it was a, an awesome place to start. And I mm -hmm. feel like the feedback I've gotten from folks in the church is the same. So I'm excited yeah. to hear feedback as well. Yeah. I mean, I, um, from the beginning, we wanted to be a place that uh, prioritized uh, proximity, right? Yeah. Um, mm closeness which is yeah. like actually talking to each other listening to yeah. each other you know now nowadays people just you know they look for their sound bites um to help kind of you know affirm what they already think and believe and um rarely yeah. do we take time to actually listen to people you know um who are different than us who have a, who yeah. have had a different experience than us and so you know i don't i don't for a second think everybody involved in the conversation comes down you know uh in exactly the same place on all of the issues, mm -hmm. but you're right. I think the first thing we have to do is um, listen, you know, mm -hmm. first thing we have to do is uh, try and, and feel someone else's experience. And I think that definitely yes. happened. Uh, I think we all underestimated, um, you know, uh, the amount of time we needed um, even just for an introduction. And so we didn't get a yeah. chance to get to a lot of the questions that came in via the text messaging service. And so what we want to do right now is just work through some of these questions. Um, we also walked away feeling like not only do we need to do a follow-up conversation right now, but we need to do another night together. Um, Absolutely. And probably zero in on some more of the specific, uh, I guess, kind of conversations um, within that larger conversation. So yeah. can I just start asking you some of these questions and we just see where it goes? Yeah. Yeah. Fire away. Let's All do right. it. Well, let's, let's start with this one. I mean, I, I think it came in in a couple different ways. Um, but here's, here's the question. How do you respond when asked if God makes people gay? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, it's truly, I mean, I think that's, that's the starting point for me. I, I don't know. I don't know um why certain people are born with a cleft lip i don't know why certain people uh, are born intersex i i mean those are extreme examples right but at the end mm -hmm. of the day i feel like even with this topic um science is catching up and and we're you know there are theories about the biology the biological makeup of people who are lgbtq um there are theories right of course that it's nature versus nurture. Uh, mm -hmm. There's all kinds of theories and there's, there's science and data that's backing some of those things up. And, um, you know, some would now argue that yes, there is certainly a biological gene. Uh, there is a different chromosomal makeup that can be found in those who are LGBTQ, but in the exact same way, uh, it could just be nurture that led mm -hmm. to an outward expression of that sexual identity as well. And so, I know that's a really nuanced answer to the question, but at the end of the day, I don't know. Um, what I do know, though, again, going back to experience and being willing to listen to the individual's story first as we wrestle through the information, 
is what I know for myself is that mm -hmm. I can tell you the exact moment, the exact environment. Uh, when I started to realize that I was having crushes in the second grade, when I was starting to, you know, you start to, the older you get, you're learning about yourself, you're learning about your body, you're learning about, uh, you know, your feelings and emotions towards other people, uh, mm -hmm. just like we all are. And for me, that attraction was uh, to individuals of the same gender. And that has continued for me my entire life. I do not have the same physical or emotional attraction to females. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not for lack of trying, right? I, I've, I've right. dated women. I, I, during my time through conversion therapy and, and, and being in the uh, church that I was in and trying to find redemption uh, for my sexuality, quote unquote. I mean, I was trying really hard because uh, right. I thought that that might be part of the answer. If I could just meet the right woman, if I could just be with the right woman, and if I could just uh, make that happen, then it'll all go away. And that was never my experience then and still isn't my experience to this day. And so while I can't necessarily tell you outright, yes, God makes people gay. What I can tell you is that my experience in comparison with, you know, if I can use you as, as my example, Nick, our experiences growing up and moving into the idea of romance and attraction and, and sexuality and is very similar. I'm sure it's just mine was of the different gender. Yeah. And so I can't necessarily sit here and say, God made me gay. But at the same time, I can't tell you anything else that I've ever experienced or felt. So I don't really know how you wrestle with that otherwise. Sure. Um, I also would just say that oftentimes I think when people ask that question, um, did God make you gay? Uh, not everybody, but, but for those that might be trying to use that as a talking point uh, for how it's sinful, are trying to get you to the point of saying that God didn't make anybody gay. So therefore it is a inclination to sin and then you need to be redeemed and healed from that sinful nature. Mm -hmm. And to me, I would argue it's, it's much deeper than just saying it's an inclination or a feeling. Um, it is truly a part of my identity and I can't, I've, I've tried to make sure. it go away and I can't. Sure. Yeah. Um, so when we're asking that question, just what's your motive to that question too, mm -hmm. I would ask. Yeah. Well, it kind of flows into the, this next one. I, th I think they're related and there's a, sure. you know, there's a, there's a larger theological kind of conversation behind all of this that maybe we can get into as well. I think it flows out of that first question, but you know, someone asks, how do I answer my child who asks if God makes mistakes? If yeah. my answer is no, how do I answer the question of someone born male wanting to be female or born female wanting to be male? Sure. So it's, it's under that. It does God make mistakes. You know, can I, yeah. can I take a crack at this? Yeah, um, please. I'm not wading into the, you know, specifics, but I think what's behind this is a conversation of, you know, theologically called God's sovereignty. You know, it's yeah. um, how, how involved, you know, is God in terms of uh, God's will? Um, what does God's control look like? You know, and yeah. I, I don't think, you know, I don't think God's will is sort of fleshed out in every minute thing that happens, you know, in the world. Um, sure. You know, I think God made creation, the world, uh, distinct from God's self. You know, so yeah. think about in the creation story. He creates trees that can create more trees, you know. Yeah. Um, like creation itself has this ability to go on and continue and function. I think God sustains it generally, you know, but I don't think God is intentionally willing or causing uh, every storm that happens, you know, yeah. uh, every breeze of wind. I think the world itself uh, exists apart and distinct from God. Does that yeah. make sense? And I yeah. think we do too, you know, and so even yeah. down to who we, who we are, we're this weird, when it, when it comes to me right now, Nick Cunningham at 39 years old, Sort of who I am is this weird amalgamation of uh, my parents' genetics and genes and their their dispositions and how sure. all of that goes together to make me. Uh, so that's part of it. You know, the other part of it, I do think that there's a distinct us, you know, that um, 
that maybe is the part that scripture talks about, you know, being knitted together. There is a, there's a part of us that is us that's distinct from, you know, even our physicality. Um, but then a big part of who I am is my experiences, you know, yeah. like all of that goes into making me who I am. And so like, you know, when, um, somebody's born with blonde hair, you know, it's like, did God intentionally make them with blonde hair or is right. that how their parents, you know, the genes, uh, mesh right. together and the, the certain swimmy made its way to the egg or whatever, you know, I'm like, I don't know that God's up there deciding, you know, right. Okay, you're going to be five foot nine when you're, you know, like, I think, it's, <laughs> I think there's some freedom, you know, for creation to produce some of this stuff. Doesn't mean the guy's yeah. involved, you know? Yeah. Um, but I would argue that, you know, if, if you're a part of this community, LGBTQ community, there are some challenges, you know, even sure. apart from social, uh, the way we, um, the way culture and society interacts with, you know, uh, folks in that community. But I think even just personally, you know, somebody who is born a male, but identifies, you know, as a female, that's not easy. That, that, that That's a challenge for all sorts mm-hmm. of reasons, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you've already pointed out, there are people who are born with physical challenges. Yeah of all shapes and sizes, I don't think God intentionally creates anyone deaf, blind, you know, yeah. I think yeah. it happens, you know, right. um, similar thing happened John and John where the disciples are arguing about the, the kid born blind, you know, and, and their assumption is God had this kid born blind to punish somebody. Who, so who's God punishing? And Jesus is like, no, that's not how right. this works. Right. You know? Right. Um, so I, I don't, I, I think what's behind this question, you know, uh, is really a conversation around God's sovereignty, you know? Yes. Does that make sense? It, yeah. And it, I mean, that's some of what I was going to say is that I think it really, it, it kind of boils down to, for me, what is your outlook on who God is? Um Right. Because to use those same examples, like I don't I personally don't believe that God intentionally made a a child born blind or deaf. I don't I don't believe even individuals who end up uh, being legally blind or or deaf, you know, years down the road. You hear these stories of people who had perfect sight and perfect hearing throughout the majority of their life. And then in the later years, they're legally blind and now they're struggling with that um for the rest of their lives it's like i don't for me again don't believe that a god intentionally does those things Mm -hmm. and so you know right if if i wanted to say that then can i say that god made a mistake when he made me five foot five (laughs) to your point of like you're gonna be five foot nine because as far as i'm concerned until recently i want to be taller right so is that a mistake on god's part and i just to i i feel like it is it is again it goes back to what is your vision of God? Who is God to you? And is are you truly looking at God through the lens of Jesus first? Or is it still the presuppositions that you're placing on who God is and who God should be uh, based on the way that you see the world? Mm-hmm. Um, however, I can still understand with a topic like this where, uh, you know, this idea that God doesn't make mistakes and we're using uh, analogies like deaf and blind, we're using analogies like a cleft lip. I can understand how uh, people who are not necessarily in the LGBTQ community and especially people who are not transgender and never had that experience can look at that and say, well, if God doesn't make a mistake and God made you male, you're deliberately choosing to go against what God created you to be. And so therefore you're claiming that God, and I've heard this argument before, mm-hmm. you're claiming that God made a mistake because you were born male, but you're choosing to be female or you're born female, you're choosing to be male. And that again, I would say that all of this has to be through the lens of experience and story. You can you can keep your theological beliefs, you can keep your doctrinal statements, Uh, like we can still struggle through the nuance of that conversation together, but it is unfair for you to look at somebody who is transgender people who I've heard stories and sat across the table from people who knew as young as four years old, Mm -hmm. and that never changed for them. So you might look at it as that they're deliberately going against what God created. Mm -hmm. What they would argue to you is no, 
they're living more into what they believe they were created to be. And yeah. so, you know, I am here to, to talk through these questions and wrestle through these things mm -hmm. because of our proximity, because of my position on staff and, and the time that I can dedicate to doing this. But let's be clear, even in that, right? I am still one person with one experience. I'm not transgender. I've never had that experience of feeling like uh, I was a, a female born in a male body. Mm -hmm. So I want to honor the fact that I haven't had that actual experience when I'm talking about this first and foremost. Sure. But I want to tell you again that all the people that I've interacted with and learned their stories and begun to learn more about the science and the terminology that backs up this experience is that uh, you can't say that it's a mistake when you yeah. begin to listen to their story. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I don't believe necessarily that God makes mistakes. I just think it again goes full circle back to when you look at the things across our, our, our society that you might deem mistakes, how are you looking at God's involvement in those quote mistakes? Exactly what you said about God's sovereignty. Are you, are you saying that God caused that? Are you saying that God is a creator that's intimately involved mm -hmm. in the creation that is multiplying amongst itself? Um, and I think that's a huge difference. And, and the other thing that I'll say, something that I heard uh, years ago that stuck with me is that the body is temporal, but mm -hmm. the spirit is eternal. Mm -hmm. And if a person is telling you that they are experiencing suicidal ideation, depression, anxiety, uh, gender dysphoria, all those things, because they just they know, they know, they know that they are a female born in a male body. What are we doing wrong by allowing them to change some of the external of their temporal body so that they can live the fullness of life here in this temporal world when mm -hmm. we're not touching that spiritual side? Mm -hmm. And so I know, again, that some people might disagree with that too, and I get that, mm -hmm. but that, that helped me a little bit to go, okay, why am I so concerned with the temporal side mm -hmm. when I really need to be most concerned with the eternal side of the conversation? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the assumption you're starting from, and I, and I, you know, I think I would say I'd probably start here that, that, you know, uh, I know you use the word queer to kind of describe mm -hmm. the whole, the whole spectrum, you know, it doesn't seem to be original design. I don't know what the right language is to use, sure. but I mean, you look at the challenges that it, it, it creates, you know, that feeling of um, feeling like you're not at home in your own body in some ways, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I can recognize that, but like, like we've already pointed out, there are cases where there's all sorts of things that happen with, with how someone is born. That doesn't seem to like my brother-in-law was born with a hole in his heart, you know? Yeah. I don't think God intentionally created him with a hole in his heart, you know? Sure. Um, I think that, that, that what's behind that question is God make mistakes. You got to be able to, to differentiate someone's um, sort of the, the body they're born with the, the context they're born into from their intrinsic value, you know, like mm -hmm. that, that's, that is what's God, that, that is God given. You know, mm -hmm. and so in that sense, no, God doesn't make make a mistake in that. Do you mean he's making somebody that's beyond love and acceptance and um, worthy of dignity and uh, right? No, like that, not right. at all. Every single human right. being, um, no matter how you come into the world, you know, is worthy of love, respect, um, sure. Sure. and acceptance. You know, I think that's the heart behind that question. But I do think on this side of the resurrection, people are born into the world. None of us, you know, um, are fully ideal when it comes to sure. the human from, from a physical standpoint, you know what I mean? There's going to be mm -hmm. challenges and, um, all sorts of limitations on this side of the resurrection because things are not, sure. you know, um, necessarily the, the way the fullest uh, expression of what God wants, you know, for, for the world. Sure. So I do think, you know, yeah. I think we, I think we, I think we uh, got into that qu question thoroughly. You agree? <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, we could keep going, but I know we've got others to talk about. Mm -hmm. So, yep. Um, let's see. Let's do this. 
this is this is an interesting question. I'm curious what you have to say. Um, it says, do you see and how do you address in the queer community the absence of agape and tolerance for the straight community? So yeah. I imagine that's an interesting question. You know, there what what often gets talked about is the lack of tolerance from, you know, um, traditional uh, community, conservative community towards uh, the, the queer community. Do you see that from the other side? Do you see a lack of tolerance from the queer community towards the straight community? Sure. So this is an interesting question. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I feel like I have to address the part about the straight community before mm -hmm. I can really get into it. Yeah. Um, what is the straight community? Um, and, and I say that in jest, but I hope that people begin to understand the reasons why the LGBTQ or the queer community exists. Why do we say the queer community? Why do we say the black community? Why do we say community of immigrants? Why, all of those, these communities are formed because they're not allowed to be a part of the larger communal space. And so um, I'm not comparing sexuality and, and gender to race necessarily, but let's use that as an example, right? The black community is, is uh, identified as that. The black church is identified as that because for a very long time in our nation's history, black individuals were not welcome to the table of the community at large. Mm -hmm. And so they had to create their own. The same is true for the queer community. For the longest time, up until around 1970, we were not allowed at the table. Homosexual acts were illegal. Um, you know, the Stonewall riots came from the the last example of police coming in and raiding and, and brutally beating people and taking their payoffs. And we were not, and in many ways today, still are not welcome at the table for the larger community conversation. And so we create our own communities for survival and for connectivity. Mm -hmm. If we're not welcome at your table, we have to create our own. And so I would just challenge the thinking, first of all, to say that it's this, the queer community versus the straight community. The straight community is the community at large. We had to create our own community of connection because we weren't allowed. Now, do I feel like there's a lack of tolerance then? Um, it's hard for me to say that because then I'm like, well, what tolerance towards what community? But I'll get to the root of what I think they're trying to say mm -hmm. is, are we as compassionate in the community to those who are not as understanding of the language and the nuance that it is to be queer? Um, and I would say yes and no, um, <laughs> because here's why. I am sitting here right now on a Zoom call with you mm -hmm. as a follow-up to a round table that we did that I am very happy to do. I, I Like I, I'm happy to do this and I'll do it again and again and again. But at the end of the day, what am I doing right now? I'm sitting here explaining to you why my existence matters. The round table was explaining to folks why our existence matters. And I understand, yes, that there is nuance even to me saying that because we're talking in a church setting where there are deeply held religious, theological, doctrinal beliefs. There is a long history of how do we wrestle with this accurately with the scriptures. So don't get me wrong. I'm honoring the fact that this is an important topic to those of us who want to be faithful believers. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not discrediting that at all. But at the same time, I'm still having to kind of argue to the, to the grander audience that I should get the opportunity to exist and fully participate in the life of the church just because of something that I can't necessarily dictate or control. Mm -hmm. And so when it feels like the queer community is frustrated, uh, tired of answering questions, tired of explaining uh, definitions and terminology, uh, it is because quite frankly, we're just tired of having to explain ourselves. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm a little bit unique, I think, in my feeling here, 
that it is our job in the queer community to become more compassionate towards those who simply don't know the difference mm -hmm. and simply don't have the experience or the education. If you don't have the lived experience, the only way that you can then be a true ally and accomplice is to get the education. Mm -hmm. And so it does fall on you. It is your responsibility to seek that education and to seek those relationships so you can learn the experience and you can learn the education. And the education's out there, the books, the resources, the websites, it's there. Yeah. Where we have to become more compassionate though in our community, I will argue, and, and some in my community will not agree with me on this statement, but I believe it. Where we have to become more compassionate is if you use the wrong pronouns, but you're trying to be understanding, mm -hmm. we shouldn't lash at you for that. We should use it as an educational moment and work together to move forward. If you don't understand the difference between gay and bisexual or queer and transgender, but you're coming at it from a place of true compassion and you're trying to understand, right. then we should be more compassionate with you too. Yeah. And so that's a really long-winded way of saying um, the answer to the question is both hand, sure. Sure. <laughs> right? Like we, we are begging those in the quote straight community that, Hey, will you take a little bit more responsibility because the resources are out there for you to learn on your own. You don't necessarily need us to teach you everything, mm -hmm. but I would still, again, push back to those in the queer community to say, Hey, if people are really trying, mm -hmm. then we should be way more compassionate and, yeah. and walk with them on that journey. Well, and you know, something that I appreciate about you in our conversations, um, sure. And you know, I felt this from, from Justin Lee when he was here too, um, is you have compassion towards, particularly towards people in the faith community who are really beginning to um, not just think about this, look at this from a distance, but they're, you know, they're getting closer to it. They're listening to stories and experiences they're wrestling with. And, and probably because they, ha they have to, there's mm -hmm. you know, somebody close to them who's, this is, this is all too real for, um, what I love about y'all is the compassion you have to understand that people's struggle with it is not for the most part. I mean, I'm not saying that there are a lot of uh, people I don't think this is true for, but a lot of people I interact with, the struggle, the difficulty, the hesitancy is coming not from this desire to want to be judgmental and a bigot, but to really sure. like, they, they want to stay faithful. Sure. You know, there is this sense of, um, and, and I think you, you felt this on a personal level. I mean, obviously you, you know, you went through conversion therapy. There was a, you know, a part of you that was like, um, and that's not, we don't, I'm not for that, but I think what I love about you and Justin is when you're talking to folks who, who are just on the beginning of, you know, thinking about this, mm -hmm. you, you extend to them some compassion. Um, yeah. And man, we, we can, we can have some really meaningful conversations if we start, from that place, you know, sure. um, a good friend of mine, we, we don't come down right now, you know, on, on the same side of the table when it comes to this, this conversation, but we both start with, from the perspective of, I think you're trying to be faithful. Um, yes. And, yeah. you know, cause even for me, Dylan, like in the beginning, I remember people telling me it, it was, it was 10 plus years for me in terms of like thinking through it wrestling with it before I could say I had a position on, on it, you know, whatever. Um, but I remember early on, some of the things I heard from some folks were, well, Hey, culture's heading this way. So you better change your mind. And it, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. Who's about as countercultural as possible. And so coming at me mm -hmm. from that angle is like, ah, you know, that's not going to sure. do it for me. I've got to sure. wait into this, um, yeah. you know, to, to make sure that I, I really believe that this is, you know, somebody, uh, expressing who they are in a healthy way like that, that 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 that's that's what's happening here you know yeah um and so i think i do think the patience and compassion i i feel from you uh i don't think most people would expect that from sure. the queer community you know not because they're queer but because we're just not very patient with each other that's not a yeah. that's not a normal human um yeah. reaction does that make sense yeah, and, and but what you just said made me 
think I, I do want to clarify one thing to your point. One is that I don't think I would have as much compassion if it wasn't also a lived experience for me, mm -hmm. right? Like if you, if you went in my library right now, you would still find books like you don't have to be gay mm -hmm. and homosexuality in the Bible. And they are, they're filled with folded pages and highlights. And, and I keep them as a reminder that, Hey, you tried, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, like truly, like you, you will still see the remnants, if you will, of conversion therapy, where I, I kept the books, I kept the workbook, I kept the stuff because I was in that place where if I had to pick, if it was Jesus or my sexuality, I was picking Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I think I do have a little bit more compassion and empathy from, from the religious community, if you will, or the faith-based community, because I do understand, right? Like we have a mutual friend that I've sat with who, same thing, that individual does not come to the same conclusion of affirmation and affirming theology that I do. Mm -hmm. But that individual still extends me human dignity and still treats me with compassion and also doesn't tell me what I can and can't do. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we come to that table together, we both have very deeply held uh, beliefs and yeah. doctrines. Yeah. But I also am able to come to it as, hey, I really do understand where you're coming from. And I know why you're taking this so seriously, mm -hmm. because I took it that seriously, too. Yeah. Um, I just came to a different belief than you did and that's okay. But, but that's the last little caveat. I do want to make sure that I add because it is okay to disagree. Mm -hmm. It's not okay to lack human dignity and empathy. Right. Yeah. And so if you feel like the queer community is coming at you in a way that's not compassionate, um, recognize that if you're telling somebody that their marriage should be compared to animals getting married, because I, I saw that recently on social media, if, if you refuse to recognize my pronouns or my gender, if you refuse to recognize my identity, like there's a difference between us disagreeing on the theology and you still giving me human dignity and compassion. But don't expect that from me if you're going to completely dishonor my human dignity in the in the opposite direction. Sure. And yeah. so I, 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 that needs to be made clear, too. There's a difference between disagreeing and deliberately hurting the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, the most radical uh voices or the, the are the loudest ones you know that those are the folks mm -hmm. that, you know but I, I think in my in my experience as a pastor talking with parents whose kids are you know um, mm -hmm. coming out to them you got to recognize where we are in history a little bit where mm -hmm. you know you're you're more tuned into this than I am of course but it's like in the grand scheme of things you know we're uh we're still kind of at the forefront of this you know mm -hmm. um becoming more accepted and more uh, normalized and more embraced. And so mm -hmm. there are a lot of people, I mean, for, I just think about my own age, you know, when I, when I grew up, like we use some of the words that we use in high school, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, like that, that's how we thought that's, that was just 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. um, so there, there are going to be people for whom this is still pretty new. Um, oh yeah. I get that. Yeah. But yeah. again, it is, it is for me, it all comes down to motive. Mm -hmm. I will sit down across the table from you all day long, mm -hmm. knowing that you have the staunchest disagreement with me on this topic, as long as we can treat each other as humans. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That that to me is where the line is drawn. Well, and so, I tried talking about this that night. I think this is sometimes why some of these conversations can be charged too. Um, sure is there's all this stuff that gets kind of smushed together. Um, I'm thinking about it particularly from a uh, conversation between Christians, you know, people of uh, similar faith conviction, you know, it's like the, for some reason people mush like, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not using the right words here, orientation, you know, sure. um, with things like um, sexual ethics, like, sure. like, um, abstinence or fidelity like that's mm -hmm. one conversation you know what i mean and then mm -hmm. sort of uh, orientation and, and uh 
that's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, like for some reason, it's like if it's made to feel like if you are affirming in any way, then you are also okay with people sleeping with whoever they want, whenever they want, mm-hmm. how often they want. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Let's start from this. I think we all can recognize our culture is just upside down and backwards when it comes to the health of how we express our sexuality, period. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a Christian, I affirm, you know, uh, fidelity. You know, I affirm mm-hmm. um, monogamy. And I, and I do think the safest place for sexual relationships or activity is inside of a covenanted relationship. You know what I mean? Sure. The question is, who's allowed to have that? Um, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Like, but you can't mm-hmm. mush all those together. Um, just because you are affirming doesn't mean that then you're suddenly okay with open marriages or whatever. Like that, mm-hmm. those are mm-hmm. two different conversations. Does, does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. But what you're touching on now is the, the inability oftentimes for Christians in particular to separate same sex or same gender, uh relationships or, or or let's just say lgbtq monogamous relationships with quote sexual deviancy and sexual mm-hmm. perversion they they because of the way that we have interpreted the scriptures around this topic we always point it back to sexual immorality mm-hmm. and so it, when you do that, you automatically lump the moment that you, that, and that to me proves your point that the moment that you become affirming, everybody lumps all the sexual immorality into the idea that you're becoming affirming. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm just saying that two individuals who are consenting adults in a monogamous loving relationship might have the opportunity to marry just like we did. Mm-hmm. There's a huge difference here. Yeah. And, and that was one of the biggest things that started to get me to question is that the the relationship that I came into is that we met at a Bible study. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we had never had sex, much less held hands. We hadn't even touched. We we met at a Bible study. We did what all good Christians did, and we held each other accountable. And we went on coffee meetings, and we read our Bible together. And and I was falling in love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. This, this is nothing like what the church has continuously told me. The church continuously told me this was all wrapped around your sexual sin, your sexual deviancy. We met at a Bible study and yeah. we're pursuing God through scripture together. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, and I, I think if I can get on a quick rabbit trail, I think the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is a prime example. And I bring it up because it is used so often, especially in the public discourse right now around the politics of, of marriage, if you read if you read the story in Sodom and Gomorrah, it may be a story about male rape, but it is not ever discussing specifically same-sex monogamous relationships. Mm-hmm. And then when we see in Jude, uh, a, 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 um, a relay back to the story of Sodom, Jude talks about the sexual immorality. It doesn't talk about same-sex relationships. Mm -hmm. And then if we want to let the Bible actually speak for the Bible, if we go to Ezekiel 16, Ezekiel 16 tells us exactly what the sin of Sodom was. And it tells us that the sin of Sodom uh, was being inhospitable. It was only caring uh, for the rich and the wealthy and not caring for the poor and the orphan. It goes on and on. It says absolutely nothing about sexual immorality or a same-sex relationship. Mm-hmm. But now what we've done is we've created this picture all around sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. And so the so automatically, and th- this is kind of my own opinion creeping in, but what I believe is that automatically, when you're reading all the scriptures that way, and your mind when you read them is only thinking about same-sex, you automatically lump same-sex attraction or same-sex monogamous relationships into sexual immorality when those verses said nothing about it in the first place. Mm -hmm. But you have decided that those things are one in the same. Mm -hmm. And so the moment you become affirming of anything related to same-sex or same gender, you're now let let loose. We're all just running around like sexual immorality across the world. Yeah. And- (laughs) <laughs> that's not what we're asking for. Well, I, you know, that's, this is why we, we, we feel strongly. We, we need another night. 
to really yeah. drill down on to really drill down on what the Bible says to get into some of these conversations. And, and honestly, this is one of the things that I love so much about the Christian movement is that it it really um, did elevate the role of sexual intimacy within a relationship. You know, mm-hmm. people think the ancient world was all everybody was pure and like, no, like um, <laughs> far from you know, it. No, I mean, the, the way women were treated and, uh-huh. uh, you know, prostitution was essentially birth control. You know, this is how mm-hmm. you uh, Roman men didn't want to have to have, you know, take care of babies. And so they would, I mean, cr- Christianity really did elevate the marriage relationship mm-hmm. um, and the role of sexual in- intimacy. I'm all for that. I think, mm-hmm. I think that is, you know, the ideal. I think what I've come around to is that, um, is who, who exactly is allowed to enter into that, you know, covenant relationship. Um, and here's the crazy secret. I am too. <laughs> like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like that would blow some, some of the, you know, more, if I can use the term conservative and I don't like those binaries mm-hmm. in this conversation. So please hear that. But, but for sake of time, if we could say like the, the super conservative folks and their belief on this topic when I tell you that I actually believe that the Christian outlook for marriage and what the Christian faith did to change the trajectory of the doctrine of marriage, if you will, change everything that you just said about relationship and fidelity, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah. again, when you, when you lump it all into that one box, like people mm-hmm. tend to do, you're like, well, how can you agree that you can be in a loving same-sex relationship and believe that the Bible and, and our Christian faith gives us the best tenets for how to live out marriage? I believe both. Yep. Yeah. And of course, and I, there's people within the queer community that would scoff at the idea. They of, would. They would. Just as there's people, there's tons of people in this, you know, that are straight that would scoff at it. Like, yes. That, that's what I mean is you have to distinguish here between, you know, like there, there's the Christian ethic of fidelity and monogamy and even celibacy, you know, that's, yeah. I think that, that is a very complicated uh, yeah. conversation, but you know, the, the way in which it dignifies and honors what it means to be a human and, and the role of sexual, sexual intimacy in a relationship, that's one conversation. But then over here, it's, you know, it is the, it's, it's the orient, is orientation, the right word, or am I using the wrong word? Um, no, you're good. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I yeah we gotta separate those two things, man. We yeah we covered a lot of ground on that. Um, maybe well, I was about to say that this will prove that this is truly an organic conversation because uh, how far are we even in the questions? We're not very far. Um, <laughs> we might I don't hopefully we didn't confuse people more than anything. Let's see. I'm gonna find one. Uh, how about? Um, well, so here, I mean, maybe we've already said this, we got into it, but a clear, direct answer might be helpful. Yeah. Um, do I have to take a side on this issue? Can mm-hmm. I be uncertain about my religious belief and still support you personally? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, this is a hard one for me um, because clearly I, I have spent so much time mulling through these scriptures, the, these specific scriptures that, that talk about it. I have spent time going through the cultural context. I have spent time going through the historical context. I've spent time comparing uh, pieces of literature from the same time period compared to this. Um, I've spent time going through the Greek and the Hebrew. You know, we, we even talk about the, the history of the translation itself and the word homosexuality. Um, after doing all of that, I will be honest, it, it is hard for me to not come to the affirming stance that I've come to. And I know that the first response for people would be, well, of course, because that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to be affirmed because you want to have that relationship. Sure, have that argument. But for me, I guess what I'm saying is where it makes this a difficult conversation is because I see the harm and the hurt that is happening to the community when we don't have an affirming position. And it's hard for me to understand now how people don't. Mm -hmm. In the same breath, I talked about this at the round table. I have incredible friendships with people that we would call side B Christians. Mm -hmm. And those are Christians who they claim their sexuality. They claim their gender identity because it is a deep innate part of who they are. 
But in their same study that they have wrestled through the scriptures in every single way that I have, they've come to a more, quote, conservative stance. And they feel it is their call to celibacy, or they feel that there's really no way that they could reconcile having uh, a, a monogamous relationship uh, in the tenets of how they read scripture and they read their sexual ethics. And so how can I sit here and look that person in the face and say, well, you're wrong? Because again, they're doing the best that they can to live life abundantly and to live in a way that they believe is honoring to themselves and honoring to God most, most notably. Mm -hmm. And so let me tie that into a, a pretty knot. It is, it is a nuanced conversation even between those of us who are in what I would call the queer Christian community. Those of us who we, 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 we recognize and respect and, and we openly honor our, our sexuality, our gender identity, but we also deeply, deeply uh, honor the scriptures and, and we believe in God, we believe in Jesus, and we want to be faithful followers of Christ. Mm -hmm. And we still have differing opinions on what that means for how we live out our sexuality and our gender identity. Mm -hmm. So if you're just somebody who, if you're a Nick who has no skin in the game as far as being a part of the community um, and you just want to be more understanding, I think that you absolutely can have the same nuance. If we're going to have the same nuance in our own community, of course you are because you're at the end of the day, just trying to understand the scriptures best for yourself so that you can also be a faithful Christian. But ultimately, and this is what I love about people like you who are trying is that ultimately your skin in the game is wanting to honor God and honor the scriptures, but also honor the humanity of people who are right here beside you yeah. who need to be loved on. Yeah. And so I, I guess that would be my, my ending to that answer would be, yes, you can disagree uh, because we're all going to have nuance around this conversation, but can you disagree in love? Mm -hmm. And, and, like truly disagree in love, which means that again, you don't get to necessarily tell me like you have to believe enough in the Holy spirit and the work of God to know that if I'm telling you, I know I have a relationship with God. I know that my relationship to the spirit is fruitful. I know these things to be true in my life. Again, kind of like what I was saying at the round table, you can hold me accountable to the thing, to the way in which I'm living out the fruits of the spirit that I claim, mm -hmm. but you don't just get to tell me that you're going to completely disregard my humanity in the process. Mm -hmm. And the other side to that too, which I know is really hard for people is that you don't get to take away my rights in society. Yeah. And I know that's hard for people because they're like, how do I live in the nuance of, I disagree with this. So I have to vote in such a way that also disagrees with it. But at the end of the day, you're being less loving by mm -hmm. giving me less rights at the table in the community that you get to live in. I should get to live in that community the same. If we all agree that the kingdom of God is at hand, if we all agree that the goal is for us to bring more of the kingdom of God here to earth, then let's all work towards that. But mm -hmm. at the same time, the kingdom of God is not fully realized until Jesus comes back or whatever you believe about that. The kingdom of God will not fully be realized until that time. And so we still live in an era of community that we have to create that recognizes that there are governmental rights and there are human rights and there is our faith that ebbs and flows in those things. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I could go on and on about that too, but, but, but you, we have to begin to recognize that by taking away my rights, you're not being loving. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just I don't think Jesus's way was ever to legislate things or you know, even even if you start from the from the from the conviction that, you know, it is a sin, so to speak, like. Mm -hmm. Even if it's about something that we think is a sin. Right. The way you promote change, growth, transformation isn't right through legislation and laws. It's it's through relationship and proximity. Mm -hmm. It's um, mm -hmm. that's the way Jesus, you know, Jesus did it. Um, exactly <laughs> you know but 
I think because th- this flows into this other question I wanted to get into, and I I think it can take us in in, in several different places, and may, maybe we kind of stop with this one. Um, the question is, what do you think is the right answer for denominations struggling with the marriage issue to split or not to split? Um, I feel like those things are those two questions are kind of connected. I'm imagining people who are you know, wanting to wade into this t- conversation who maybe even would go ahead and identify as affirming. And there are part of churches that aren't. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, with, even within, I, I come out of the Methodist church, I still strongly identify, you know, as Wesley and I love the Methodist church. I'm not a part of it right now, but it's about the split, you know, over yeah. the sexuality issue. And you've got people who are in, you know, Methodist churches that are going to break off and, you know, form, uh, a very be a part of this more conservative uh, group yeah. of Methodist churches, you know, but you got a whole lot of people who are a part of those churches. Um, and I think in the back of their mind, there is this sense of if I am affirming and I'm at a church that isn't, um, is that okay? You know what I mean? Like uh, sure. what's the, what's the rub there, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think you can start from you can start from that higher perspective. Do you think denominations should split over this? Um, but then I think it trickles down even to those individuals who are, you know, at churches where they don't necessarily shame, share the same convictions yeah. on this particular issue. What do they do? You know? Yeah. Um, what do you think? It's so I mean it's so hard, and and I know that's a cop out, but it's like if I had to just answer that directly, like the, 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 to split or not to split, my heart always goes to not split. But even as I say that, I recognize that that's nearly impossible at this point in the game. If a, if a denomination is beginning to make those decisions, I feel like the conversation is already too far gone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I almost look at it like the marriage that's that's hanging on by a thread. Mm-hmm. And that, but if we're not willing to go to counseling together and, and seek the counsel from from good friends and, and good wholesome, it, like, then it's just going to dissipate. And that's kind of how I feel about the church split. It's like, you've got one side that feels so adamantly and so strongly about it here. And you've got the other side that feels so adamantly and so strongly. And I almost feel like we've lost the give and take. And so the split is inevitable, but that's what, that's what breaks my heart is that that doesn't feel like Jesus at all to me. (laughs) And when I look at what happens when denominations split and we begin to have conversations about who owns the real estate, and who has the endowment fund? And if I go this direction, who continues to support and fund here? And who does this and who does that? And it just feels so messy and it feels so earthly to mm-hmm. use the terminology that I'm like, I wish that it was so simple for me to look at you and say, no, never split because it doesn't look anything like Christ. And it leaves a lot of people hurt. Um, and it, it makes the world look at the church and go (laughs) yet again, why do I want anything to do with that? They can't even get their act together internally. Mm Um, yeah. At the same time, I just got done talking about how we have to have these nuanced disagreements between ourselves. Mm -hmm. The broader denomination is only an institution that represents a bunch of people with disagreements. Yeah. So it's going to happen. And and I recognize it's going to happen because it is a bunch of people Hmm. who are wading through that nuance and that disagreement. And I think they've come to a place where they feel like there's no other answer. Yeah. Um, Did I answer that question? Did that? I mean, I kind of want to ask you because I feel like you're. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I, I, what's behind this is this desire to be able to coexist, right, amidst all of our differences, which I think is possible, but I don't think it's possible when, when it's an issue that one group's willing to die for, you know, mm-hmm. when it's, um, it's different when you and I 
what unites us, like I said, is, you know, if, if the thing that you and I have in common that we're putting all of our chips on is like fidelity, monogamy, and, you know, that, then I think if that's the thing I'm willing to die for, right? Yeah. And I'm able to make concessions. I'm able to say, I have an opinion about, you know, uh, same-sex marriage. That, you know, I maybe don't think it, I mean, I'm not speaking for myself, but I'm just saying like, sure. if that is if that is an opinion for me and not like a root belief, you know what I'm saying? Then I yeah. can I can I can accommodate and I can make room for you and I can be in a relationship with you, even though I don't necessarily think because it's not a, it's not a eternal security issue. It's not sure. a um, it's not the hill we're supposed to die on. But I right. think you have more and more, not more and more, actually, I think you have some factions in the church that are making this is how we fight culture. This is how we take a stand against, you know, yeah. um, the devil and his schemes or whatever. Yeah, I don't think you can coexist then. Um, yeah, because it's not possible for you to find any, any unity there, you know, any common yeah. ground. Yeah. Um, the common ground is you're willing to take a stand against this too. Does that make sense? So I yeah. do think you can coexist with people who don't have the same opinion, you know, um, about it. But I don't if it's if it's more than that, if it's more than an opinion, it's like the rock hard, these are the core convictions I have. Yeah. I'm not sure how you coexist that way. Um, yeah. I do think it's time, particularly for the Methodist church to split. I didn't think that for the longest time, just because, you know, I, I look at all of the things that they're doing globally, the way they're able to serve and, and the mission outreach, all of it. It's unbelievable. And you think it's supported by this. Um, but like I said, I think you have, you have a group who definitely is like, this is, this is our, you know, uh, this is our hill that we're, we're willing to yeah. sort of die on. And, um, and so I, I don't, th I don't know how you stay, you know, um, and it's like, what bugs me is people want to make it about welcoming, being welcoming. Yeah. Like that's usually the language you hear. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. Yeah. You know, and which, which, we, which then we got to really, that isn't the issue. The issue is, do you think it's a sin or not really? Cause like mm -hmm. you can be welcoming to everybody and everybody says, you know, well, everybody's a sinner. Everybody's, you know, so, so we're got to get it, got to get more detailed in that conversation of, do we think, you know, that it's always a sin uh, for someone to be in a same sex relationship or whatever. That's, right. that's the real conversation. But what bugs me about that whole, everybody's welcome thing um, is if, the only time you ever talk about an entire community of people is in reference to a cultural stand you have to take. Yeah. You know, that does not, that does not communicate welcome at all. Mm -hmm. You're the problem. Mm -hmm. You're the thing that we have to exercise and get rid of. That does not communicate yeah. welcome. And you can be a church who holds to traditional, you know, uh, convictions about all of this. And you can still stick up for the kid who's getting bullied in your youth group, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. You, you can still do that. You know what I mean? And I think that's what bugs me. It's like, you don't just get to, to use that word unless you really mean mm -hmm. it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, so yes, I do. I do think, I think, I think if there are people for whom this has become that all, all or nothing kind of issue, I don't think you can coexist with people for whom it's not. Um, because yeah. you're going to be seen, you know, they, they make it eternal security. They make it a, yeah. um, does that make sense? Yeah. And, and I agree. I, I think you, you said it more eloquently than, than I did. I think that's what I was trying to get at though, is that I wish in a utopia never to split because I know the pain that it causes uh, and the reverberation of that pain. I mean, when the Methodist church splits, it's going to have a ripple effect for a decade. Mm -hmm. um, but to your point, eventually, I think it does come to a place where there's just no choice anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the Methodist church is a prime example of that. It's time and it's going to happen. Um, but it can still break my heart and make me very mm -hmm. sad. And, and I can still recognize that's not what Jesus wanted. That, that's not the intention of the church. Yeah. Um, and it just downright sucks. Yeah. Um, but I mean, 
at the same time, being somebody in the community, I know that if I was faced with that reality and I had to go one way or the other, I'm going to go where I'm welcomed. I'm going to go to the space that affirms and, and at least allows, like you said, there's a difference between being welcoming and being affirming, mm-hmm. um, at least that you're going to welcome me to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to answer the last question real quickly, I think that would be my answer to somebody who's struggling with, can I be affirming and be in a church that's non-affirming? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For as long as you feel like you can stay, though, I, I just would struggle to think that for you, because it's it's easy, right? It's not necessarily going to be the topic of conversation every Sunday. It's not going to be the focal point in everything that happens in ministry. So, yeah, you can be fully affirming and being a non-affirming church. And if you're not LGBTQ yourself, it's never going to affect you or phase you until maybe you know, it comes up in a Sunday sermon and it rubs you the wrong way, or maybe, you know, somebody says something and you don't necessarily agree with how they're portraying the community. But the moment that your child comes out and is getting bullied in the youth group and the youth pastor doesn't do anything about it. um, The moment that your sister is experiencing something and you really need help from the church and they don't help her because she's LGBTQ, right? Like I can go down all the lines of, I feel like what inevitably happens is you're going to come to a crossroads where the non-affirming space that you're in is, is going to affect you in a, in an actual relationship that's a part of your life. And then it becomes a different, it, it, it just becomes different, right? Mm-hmm. To your point of proximity. This whole conversation is different until your child comes out to you, Mm -hmm. until your, you know, your nephew is being bullied at school, until your wife or husband of 50 years tells you that they're struck, like, all of a sudden it becomes very real. And so I think it becomes harder and harder to be in those non-affirming spaces as an affirming person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I struggle a little bit with people that are affirming and they have family members that you know that they embrace and accept and they can they're at churches where it's not just that they they lean you know towards the more traditional conservative side they they have for them this is the this is the hill they're going to die on and i'm like i don't i could i can't do that like um you know and um you know at emmaus it's like we said this from the beginning i remember having this conversation with you cracker barrel was like we really want to be a place that values proximity over everything else that, you know, to be a part of Emmaus, we're not going to get up there and preach a sermon about why you need to be affirming, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But we are going to allow everybody to fully participate, you know, in the Mm -hmm. church, you're, you know, you preach, you're on the preaching team. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to be okay with, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think what that does is it promotes, like I said, proximity the only way i mean i'm just going to try to say this as neutral as possible just to prove the point like let's say you're you're you know more traditional conservative and you think people who identify as queer you know it's some sort of thing they need to be healed from right what just give me a second what sort of environment does that happen in if it's it's going to happen what sort of environment does that happen in the same side you know if someone who comes in is very you know uh conservative closed off whatever towards that what sort of environment are they going to change their mind in yeah like the only only way we get anywhere worth getting to is together you know um is is closeness is looking each other in the eyes and not just reading tweets about you know people Mm -hmm. that i don't know um Mm -hmm. it's gonna take it's gonna take relationship you know and so that's why uh i really love that you're a part of this community you're a valued part of this community um, we wouldn't be us without you, Dylan. That's, that's the well, truth. Thank you. Thank you. How, how about we leave it here for now? I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't even know how long we've been going. Yeah. We, we covered a lot of these. I think a lot of the, the questions, you know, they all kind of, uh, blend together, but again, we're hoping to have another round table event. Um, I'd love to bring Justin back, have you and Justin and, and to, to make it maybe a little more specific about, um, being a Christian. Yeah, being for sure. Affirming or being open. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'd love to hear more about how, how you got there, you know, and, um, 
maybe even, you know, nerding out a little bit and getting into some of the, you know, what, what the mm-hmm. Bible says and thinking about this from a theological standpoint. I think it'd be fun to do a night. It's just sort of focused on that. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, I know Justin would too. And um, maybe even Tiffany come on yeah. back too since she's yeah. local and that's something she does too. Yep, I'd love, um, I'd love that. That'd be great. Yeah, but I think if if we could tie it all together, going back to what you just said, I think that would be my biggest challenge um, to everybody, uh, mm-hmm. whether you uh, are an LGBTQ Christian, whether you're LGBTQ and and not a fan of the church right now, but trying to figure it out, whether you're straight and affirming or straight and non-affirming uh, is proximity. And, and that is, I've said that time and time again, going back to that Cracker Barrel breakfast, is that was one of the things that appealed to me most about Emmaus, is I wanted a place uh, where we could be in proximity. And, and that's not going to be the place for everybody. And I get that. Sure. But I wanted a place where I could be in proximity and build relationships with people that don't think like me, that don't vote like me, that don't look like me. Um, and I think that that's the greatest challenge that we need across all spectrums, all ideologies, all conversations right now, mm-hmm. um, is that we've got to challenge our own bubble and we've got to get out of our own bubbles. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that to to my community just the same. Mm-hmm. Um but I think if I could, if I could say that is that again, none of this is going to matter to you as much until you begin to have relationships with people that it's actually affecting, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. right. The, these scriptures, these, these, these conversations, all this stuff that I've spent years mulling over, it matters to me because it's my life. Mm-hmm. If it's not your lived experience, it's not going to matter to you unless you start to learn more about the lived experience. And so yeah. I think the beauty of the community that we have at Emmaus is dig into that. Like go meet somebody you, you haven't met yet at the church and you have no idea what might happen from that. So I, I just want us to be a place that's really leaning into connectivity and relationship. Yep. Yep. I mean, we're people that believe, you know, your commitment to Jesus is going to call all sorts of things into question. You know, it's yeah. going to, it's going to challenge you in all sorts of ways, you know, um, yeah. and it's going to, challenge you to push back against you know urges appetite all that kind of stuff you know i think we're open-minded though to the fact that like we don't get to decide you know um how it's going to challenge people um yeah but yes it should um i don't know i'm proud of what we're doing me too i appreciate you man appreciate you all right everybody Thanks for tuning in, listening, whatever you're doing with this. (laughs) Um, We'll do another one. Peace.